You're listening to the Pop Tart Podcast. Girls down. You already know. More things are on fire. And I don't just mean property. I mean brains and souls in the future. Just pump me for 10 minutes and let's watch the telly. She's a free spirit. I, I would like to lube up now and slide into the vaginal question. The punani tsunami. And the vagina slash vulva is just a trouble cupboard. We always say, thank you very much for the sexual intercourse. That was very satisfactory. Hello. Hello. And welcome to Pop-Tarts. I'm Emily Rems. I'm Callie Watts. We are both editors of Bust Magazine in New York City. We love talking to each other about pop culture. We love talking to you about pop culture. And today, our guest is someone that I've been wanting to talk to for such a long time. And I'm so excited that this day has finally arrived. Catelyn Moran is a London-based columnist, author, and broadcaster who's one of the funniest feminist writers working today. Her first book, the 2011 memoir, How to Be a Woman, was an instant New York Times bestseller. And her 2014 autobiographical coming-of-age novel, How to Build a Girl, was adapted into a film starring Beanie Feldstein that premiered in 2019 and that I loved so much. When Catelyn finished How to Be a Woman in her mid-30s, she thought that she had everything figured out. But now, 10 years later, she's debuting a whole new memoir, More Than a Woman, which is out September 3rd. This book asks probing midlife questions, including can feminists have Botox? And especially important in this era of COVID, who is looking after the children? <laughs> it is a super funny book, and I can't wait to talk more about it. Welcome, Catelyn Moran. It's so good to be here. I'm so stoked. Of course, in Britain, we wouldn't call you Bust Magazine. We would call you Bosom Magazine. That would be <laughs> right. our preferred language there. Tata's Magazine. Titties Magazine. Bristol <laughs> You are someone that I've read and enjoyed for such a long time. And I always thought, you know, like this lady's speaking my language. Like she, she is picking up what I'm putting down. I get it. She gets me. And then when I was researching for this interview, I discovered that I'm actually only 10 days older than you are. So like <laughs> your cultural references are mine. Like Everything that you experienced, I experienced in this life, except for that one crucial 10 days. Um, <laughs> so, this, I, so this means we would have probably been watching Quantum Leap at the same time. And did you ever wonder when Sam Beckett would jump into you? Because I genuinely thought that <laughs> the moment I my hoped, life got better. I was just uh, waiting. It was like, you've done the gorilla. Jump into me now. <laughs> yeah, I was hoping he would jump directly into my vagina, but just anywhere would be fine. Um uh, I would like to start by discussing your early life because your early life felt like it was my early life when I was reading and then watching How to Build a Girl. I was like, oh, yeah, except for many crucial differences. You are the oldest of eight siblings. I am not. <laughs> <laughs> you grew up with eight siblings and your parents in a three-bedroom house in a place, an exotic land called Wolverhampton. I was like, wow, I wonder what that must be like. Um, but when I was 16, the most exciting thing I think that happened to me when I was 16 was my theater teacher gave me a giant box of all of his back issues of Interview Magazine. And I just became like very pop culturally obsessed. One of my favorite lines in your whole book actually is like to know about a teenage girl, just look at her bedroom walls. <laughs> like my bedroom walls were just covered with like pop culture iconography and um so that's what I was doing when I was 16 but when you were 16 you were already a music journalist you you, <laughs> you were already doing the thing that I was worshiping you moved out at 18 and you had your own music show on the tv and you were a self-made media personality before most of us left high school how did you make it happen are you a pop cultural savant? Like, what the actual fuck? Well, I mean, as you do that list, I am hating the sound of that girl. I would have hated her. I was like, why are you overachieving and being weird? Like, just slow down <laughs> a bit. But um, because I was homeschooled by two parents, by two feckless hippies, um, I would describe their parenting style as non-mammalian. Um, it was very much like that of a salmon. They simply spawned magnificently many children and then just swam away 
there was no mammal-like care or raising of the children. So we were left on our own. We didn't go to school. And by the age of 13, I'd realised that I was fucked. I had no exams. I had no qualifications. and I, I was going nowhere. Um, so I started, I just started to write because I read 19th century novels. And that was what all the women did when they needed money. That's what Joe March does in Little Women. That's what the mother does in The Railway Children. Um, it's the one thing you can do if you've got no money and you've got no friends. Everyone's got at least a pencil and paper. So I just started writing a book. Um, and then uh, I just kept sending it to people until they published it. And in the meantime, we had in those days, the brilliant invention of the music press where it didn't matter where you were or what your qualifications were. If you sent them some reviews and they liked it, they'd give you a job. And the thing that would blow the mind of anybody under the age of 35, pay you. So no internships, no free blogging, you would be paid to write. So I was lucky. I was in a generation where you could just get your foot on this ladder. That If you scurried up it fast enough and kicked everyone below you, you could get to London. And as I did, move into a house in Camden Town um, at the height of Britpop. Um, and when I woke up the next morning and went out of my house to have a menthol cigarette, which is the sophisticated cigarette, I realised <laughs> that my next door neighbour was Morrissey. Oh my God! Shut the door. <gasps> she loves him so much. Well, he's her problematic fave. Uh, he is such a problematic fave to me right now. But I, I think I just peed a little bit. Is there anything that you can tell me about being next door neighbors to Morrissey? Is there anything? He was very quiet, and um, there would always be a group of fans just standing outside his house, and they were—I mean, you know, Smiths fans. You are a Smiths fan. They were—they were gentle people. Uh, so. <laughs> So they would not scream when they saw Morrissey. They just make this kind of low, almost half ghost, half moving sound, and just sort of go mmm, when Morrissey would go past. <laughs> and Morrissey would always ignore them and would simply walk down the street or get into his taxi and get into his bicycle. So, um, so yeah, oh it was. God. But that was, I mean, that you just at that point you're like, wow, I've gone from this town in the middle of nowhere to I'm in the middle of London and Morrissey's over the road. My life feels like a film. And then, of course, 30 years later, it is a film. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, let's talk about the film. Like, how well did the film How to Build a Girl capture that experience of that time in your life? Well, I can tell you right now, it's a really weird experience making a movie about your teenage years. And like 80% of the stuff that happens in the movie happened to me. So when I went to work for this magazine and I finally asked for promotion, the editor asked me to sit on his lap to discuss it. And I did mm -hmm. for 30 seconds think, what am I going to do? This is the first time I'm being sexually harassed. And you have to understand that like six months before, I'd still been living in Wolverhampton, wearing my dad's clothes and being chased across a piece of wasteland by a load of yobs who were shouting, you fat lesbian at me. So, and throwing gravel at me. So the first time I was sexually harassed by someone in power, I was going, does this technically mean I've had a promotion? Like, kind of, <laughs> instead of being chased by boys, I'm being harassed by them. Is that up the ladder or down the ladder? Um, and how will I deal with this? And in the end, I dealt with it like I would deal with my brothers doing something impolite, which was I just slammed myself down onto his lap with my considerable weight and just bounced up and down on his on his lap going, well, all the other men are using chairs in this room. But if this is the only place I can sit, OK, I accept. And, um, and he gave me the promotion <laughs> in the end. And then I think he had to go to hospital and have some kind of operation on his legs because he'd lost the circulation. So, um, <laughs> so, so most of the things that happen in the movie are things that happen to me, but it does mean that I now don't have that many actual memories of my teenage years. I just see the film in my head. Oh, in, that's in which, oh. in which Beanie Feldstein is being me far better than I was ever. Known, <laughs> which is, again, a far preferable course of events than the one I had previously. Did you coach her at all on how to be you or did she just do it? I tried to, there was a bit where I tried to do that because I don't have a Wolverhampton accent now. The, the, the Wolverhampton accent is quite a particular thing. Like not many people in the UK can do it. Like there's not that many actors who can do it. And I've lost it. Like I'm trying to have a go on it now, but this is really bad. Um, so I tried to teach her my old accent and we both realised that wasn't going to work. So we got a professional. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, and she moved to Wolverhampton for two weeks and um, able to study it, which was one of the advantages of casting an American actor in the film because no British actor would go and live in Wolverhampton for two weeks. Like, they know what it's like. Um, but Beanie was innocent, so we could just screw her over and go, yeah, it's a really interesting experience, go to Wolverhampton. And, um, and she was just an absolute, I'd have to say, I wish that I could give you some inside scoop and tell you she's a bitch, but she's literal living sunshine. Um, oh, she's God. just the most solidly brilliant person I've ever met in my life. So, um I adore her. So yeah, I, I far enjoy having my memories of my childhood being her rather than me now. <laughs> was she in the magazine for that movie? Which movie was she? Yes, she oh, yeah. was in Boston Magazine promoting, well, yeah, that movie. 
primarily yeah and uh she she's a dreamboat for sure um in the intro to your new book you wrote in how to be a woman i have thoroughly chronicled the most difficult years of a woman's life 13 to 30 the painful years of constructing yourself the messy panicky scared brave years where you have to invent and then reinvent yourself over and over until you finally find peace a sordid middle-aged woman however isn't just a woman anymore you have to become more than a woman which is the name of your new book your 30s 40s and 50s that's when you start dealing with the real big woman shit if anything's going to get sorted out you're the one who's going to have to do it no more messy nights out or voyages of self-discovery you are about to be required to hold the fabric of society together for no pay that's what being a middle-aged woman is that is not much of an endorsement of <laughs> middle age. What is it about this time in our collective lives that inspired you to revisit memoir again and to have you like write the story of your life all over again from now? Well, I'd realized like when I finished How to Be a Woman, I was pretty convinced that like, I, that, as I said in the intro, that I'd done all the hard stuff and that the next, the rest, next phase of my life would be one of elegance. I would be going on mini breaks. I'd probably buy a, buy a pair of linen trousers. There would be long lunches with gal pals where we'd be drinking champagne and laughing. Maybe a yacht. <laughs> and I would finally marry Mark Ruffalo. That turns out not to happen uh, in your middle uh, in your in your middle age because you suddenly realise that you had the luxury when you were younger of all your problems being your problems, uh, working out who you are and uh, whether you should have bangs or not, and sort of what, what pants are not going to go up your crack. When you get into middle age, all your problems become other people's problems because that's when everyone around you starts to explode. That's when your parents start getting older and you have to care for yeah. them, where children can be entering into adolescence and you've got to ferry them into adulthood. Friends' marriages start to implode in divorce. People are losing jobs. And you are providing the unpaid care and it generally falls on the shoulders of women. These, there's a UN uh, survey that estimates the unpaid care given by women across the world at $3 trillion a year which the, uh, the only sum that matches that is the GDP of China, uh, the USA and the EU. So women's unpaid care is an entire continent of unpaid care. And we are mm -hmm. not really discussed. We are not really represented. And particularly in popular culture, like in the last 10 years, it's been amazing to watch this new cultural flowering of feminism where young, hot, messy, clever, brilliant feminist women have been making their TV shows and making their films. And in pop, you know, we see this, we see the young women telling their truths and being amazing. But then you suddenly get to middle age and the narratives stop. You know, yeah. there are no movies about how you keep a marriage together. There are no TV shows about how you raise teenage children. There are no songs about having a bit of a bad back and working out an amazing <laughs> household. Kind of, the things that you're doing every day are completely unheralded and unsung about. And, you know, and, and the important thing is to be talking about these things with humour because women deserve, you know, some culture, a book in this case, that's funny and just sees them as the clever, brilliant women that they were 10 years ago. But they're just dealing with this whole other bag of shit and trying to be superheroes and keep everybody together and keep cheerful and still be a brilliant, functioning, funny human being. Um, so, I, so I looked around. I couldn't see another book that was doing that. It was 10 years since the last one. And I was like, right, OK, more than a woman. That's what I need to write now. I'm very, very into the idea of you making my specific age be cool. Yes. I want the world to know. Well, I've waited for, I've waited for a very long time for someone else to make it cool because I'm generally quite lazy. I was, was someone else do something about kind of, you know, getting a bit old and tired and, and not being interested in really exciting sex anymore. Like I really, I need someone to go on about how great vanilla missionary sex is. Just a bit of hand and mouth stuff. <laughs> 10 minutes on top, no more than that, still chafe. Feel that, and sometimes you're just too lazy. Right? You can roll over from the side. Absolutely. <laughs> like this whole thing when you were in your younger years and you were like, yes, I must be an anal explorer and I must wear all these costumes and buy all these gadgets and we'll do role play and stuff. It's like, I'm not a fucking actor. Like, I haven't got time to maintain all these machines. Like, just pump me for 10 minutes and let's watch the telly. <laughs> You have a chapter about the ongoing to-do list that many women use both to get a shit ton of stuff done, but also to flog ourselves with sort of alternately. You write, however onerous the list might seem, it will eventually set me free for I am one five page list away from becoming a happy, accomplished woman with a perfect house, exemplary accounts, excellent capsule wardrobe, well brought up family, fabulous job and a pelvic floor 
so redoubtable, every trampoline will fear me. I love lists personally because I help make Bust Magazine one to-do list at a time. That's how <laughs> Bust Magazine makes it into the world. But I also sort of give the side eye to all the to-do lists that are outside of Bust Magazine. That I have. <laughs> That's because some like, are we better off giving up the list when the workday is over and being less goal-oriented about everything? Or is it just how we cope I think with being women in life. It depends on what stage you are in life. And I feel like I'm almost now getting to the point where I might get to the end of a to-do list or I might at least be able to put it down. But I think in the years where you've got teenage kids and your parents are ailing and you're trying to keep your career going and keep a marriage going, the only way that you can keep stuff together is to have a to-do list. Because frankly no one else is going to do that shit no one else yeah. seems to know that there is a filter on the dishwasher no one else seems to know that you need to book your summer holiday now or there won't be anywhere available next year no one else ever seems to get their head around the dog needing to be wormed no one else is going to stand in the kitchen doing a huge feminist rant um at two o'clock in the morning it's all going to be you um so <laughs> put it on the list and then at least the rants on the list yes oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> if you're going to do all this stuff if you are engaged in emotional labor in the second shift the very least that your family's going to get it's a massive yeah. feminist rant about it at three o'clock in the morning so you know they all need to be on the to-do list and that's sort of the only way that you can uh, not feel that your life is is exploding into a thousand pieces and you're just going to spend your entire life face down on the floor and cry because i've done the months of lying face down on the floor and crying and nothing got done and the house got quite smelly and a mouse died and uh, it was just like right someone's got to be back on top of this shit and it'll have to be me <laughs> I, I would like to lube up now and slide into the vaginal question Ooh. part of this interview. I have a few of them. I like it. Um, the first is that you make a lot of funny observations in the book about the linguistic strides that we've made as women um, when it comes to discussing our nether regions. First, you talk about um, how we need more ways to describe our feminine arousal. And I found this part very funny. Used all kinds of terms I've never heard before in my life, including wide on. Is that really something? Yeah, that... you never heard wide on? I've never heard wide on in my life. It's so funny to think it's like. <laughs> um, he made my fanny fizzy was really funny because here in America, the fanny is your butt. So it kind of sounds like diarrhea. But um, sometimes have you not been so aroused that you get a bit splurty? Like that can sometimes this. Yeah. <laughs> no, is that just me? Okay, I've overshared. No, I mean my yeah. my colon reacts to every emotion, good or bad. Exactly. So I have. Like, I'm a yes, Jewish person. So, I, yeah. Exactly. My colon is my is my the Jiminy Cricket on my shoulder, constantly telling me if situations are good or bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And also, I'm a fan of Love Island, so I I was aware of Fanny Flutters. Um, that butters my crumpet. It's very, very good. You also mentioned the term that I actually use the most, lady boner. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's my favorite. I don't know how I linguistically survived without it. Like, I I abuse the term lady boner. Um, is it true that in 2017, moist was voted the most hated word in the I world? I hate the word that moist. Yes. actually something? It's actually true. And and I would agree with that. Not moist makes it feel like... It's been damp for a while. Mildew, right? Yeah, it makes me feel mm. mildewy and not like wet, but it's not a wet ass pussy. It's WAP. more of like a yeast infection. Yeah. Catelyn, have you seen this video for WAP? Oh, yes. Oh, very much so. Okay. Um, luckily, my daughters are of an age now where they'll run in the room and go, and go you, you need to watch something called wet ass pussy right now. Yeah, you fucking with some wet ass pussy. Bring a bucket and a mop for this wet ass pussy. Give me everything you got for this wet ass pussy. Now from the top, make it drop. That's some wet ass pussy. Now get a bucket and a mop. That's some wet ass pussy. I'm talking wop, wop, wop. That's some wet ass pussy. Macaroni in a pot. That's some wet ass pussy. And I'd be like, yes, you are my daughters. Um, no, I, I the I mean, this is part of like when the book when I'm going, you know, sort of like for years there was a silence about you know, and a, and a non creativity about the language around sort of female sex and sexual arousal and lubrication. But in the last couple of years, we have started making incredible strides, and and I would call uh, WAP one of the greatest achievements in feminism of the last ten years. That's amazing. Are you familiar with the British historian Bethany Hughes? Yes. 
Okay, so she, we recorded with her earlier. We haven't released that episode yet because her book isn't out yet. But um, we tried to explain to Bethany Hughes what wet ass pussy was, <laughs> and, and I almost kind of felt bad about it because I was like, "This is a dame. Like this is she has an order of the British Empire. Like I should not even be saying the words wet ass pussy." Made to have Bethany a wet Hughes. Ass <laughs> what I like about it is that it becomes boastful about female sexual arousal in a way that men have been able to boast about their bonus for years. Like the fact that you are boasting about being so over lubricated that you need a bucket and a mop. Like a that, bucket and a mop. That's what I want. I, just, you're bringing, I mean, I, obviously, as a housewife, I'm kind of going, oh my God, like what, you know, are you using a disinfectant as well? Is it one of those super mops that's got the particularly um, absorbent <laughs> pads? The macaroni <laughs> in the pot one was the best. <laughs> yeah. About swiping his nose like a credit card like a credit card yeah. yeah i mean it's perfect this is what we need S- female sexual boastfulness like kind of that's something that's been yeah. missing in culture until 20 minutes ago um <laughs> i do briefly want to mention that my favorite of all of your vaginal secretion terms was the virgin mary's guilty tears good for mm. catholics it's there for the catholics yeah it's like if, it's yeah. really good if your sexuality um, is really fucked up by the pope then i am there for you with my metaphors <laughs> Outside of the world of arousal, you also feel strongly that when we say vagina, what we really mean is vulva. Vulva. Can we just chalk this up to like a lost cause and stop trying to make vulva happen? I know what you mean because it's obviously like time is pressing. Like kind of, you know, fascism is on the rise in America, and uh, there isn't going to be another series of Sherlock. So we've got a lot of you know campaigns that we need to be pushing out there. But as I put in the book, it's really key. Like, and it's 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 so sad because feminists have fought so hard to get to wedge their vaginas into many conversations over the last ten years. We've almost normalised the word vagina now, but we've been using the wrong word because that just refers to the internal organs, and like kind of it doesn't refer to the outside bit, which is what we're usually talking about. My vagina looks camel toe in this in these trousers and so and it would be like if men when they were talking about their penis were saying my balls instead like so you know yeah. I'm, I'm pissing out of my balls like my balls are really hard now i want to put my balls inside you it's not that's not the body part they're talking about and when we're talking about vaginas usually that's not the body part that we're talking about and we've gotta surely we've gotta use the right word that seems kind of almost like science like that's a huge part of who we are it'd be like if we started calling our tits our heads like kind of (laughs) just gotta label them properly i'm a bit ocd about this however i we were i was talking to our boss debbie stoller founder of bust about this very very specific this thing about your book and you saying this and she said that she thought it was more like um you have a mouth and you have lips but if you said like oh i just burnt my mouth and you really meant your lips that it would still be the same like that it would still be correct because mouth and lips still feel uh, it'd be more like saying oh i've oh i, I want to kiss you with my tonsils i think it's interior and exterior like kind of what's happening up inside you is often very different to what's happening well outside. that's some shit. you want to hit that thing in the back of the throat Touch that little dangly thing that's swinging the back of my throat. Yeah. <laughs> back to WAP always. Full circle. Full circle. Thanks, Callie. All right. I have one more vaginal question slash vulvular question. This is both. And then we'll move on. You mentioned something that I never heard of. And it's possible that I was not aware of it because I can only shower in my apartment. I cannot take a bath in my tiny New York apartment. You spoke about taking baths and then sometime at an inconvenient point later on water just splashing out of you yes you you wrote once in 2014 at 8 a.m at the hey on why literary festival i'd had a hasty hungover bath then came downstairs to do an interview on bbc breakfast just as we were doing the countdown to go live to millions i felt the familiar sploosh and looked down to see my lovely royal blue trousers telling a post-bath story of their own. And then you you go on to talk about mentioning this to crowds of thousands of people and having them nod and clap and agree and telling you that they have names for this occurrence. I think one of my favorite ones was the Punani Tsunami. Yes, oh, the monologue flume. I liked that, turning it into a ride. That's it. the vagina monologue flume. That's good, yeah. <laughs> the FUD flood. Yeah. Like I, I had, I thought working at Bust Magazine for 19 years that at some point I would have heard of this phenomenon and I never have. Well, I 
beg you now to put it to your listeners and readers and just see who responds to it because there's always got to be one brave person who will admit to <laughs> excreting half their bath water via their holes in a pair of trousers. I'm having to work this out for myself on top of doing everything else. I'm having to work out why it is that, like some kind of camel's hump, my, my, <laughs> my vagina, which is the technical term in this case, is deciding to quickly store half a litre of water in case I need it later. And then at some point going, no, 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 we're fine for bath water and letting it all back out again. Why? I don't know. Are you, we're talking like half an hour later yeah it comes out it's about 20 minutes later it's like kind of wow. the point where like you know and it's it's not every time so it keeps you on your toes i mean in a way maybe it's keeping me young maybe it's keeping the the cognitive kind of faculties wearing but you know just it's just a, there's always the threat in your list section you talked about doing kegels i'm wondering if the kegels are like keeping it tight and it's like so like mm. holding it in See, I think when I mention my Kegels, I haven't then gone into the detail about how lackluster my Kegels are. I get so tetchy doing my Kegels. I'll do two whilst gurning like a gnome, and then it'll make me so angry I'll stop. So it's definitely not the power of my pelvic floor that's making this happen. I think the word is laxity. Um, I, think, I think the word huh. is failure uh, within the pelvic floor is probably contributing to this. It tends to be women who've had children, uh, particularly children with big heads. Um, I think. Oh, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's like a suction. Huh. It's a damage it thing. Yeah. <laughs> That's it's so amazing. Down there. That's why it's happening. <laughs> I want to know more. If you're within the sound of my voice and you have expelled an enormous amount of water after a bath 20 minutes later, please email me at emilyramsatbus.com. I want to hear from you. Do you put stuff in your bath? Do you put like salts and oil? I've oh, no, I can't use any oils or anything. Because I was like, like maybe this is why you have the uh, urinary tract infection. Yeah, yeah. I almost put you on blast, and then I was like, wait, that wasn't on air. No, no, yeah. no, no I'm, I'm happy. Hey, it's Buzz Magazine. I'm happy to admit that in our pre-podcast chat, I was chomping away on my antibiotics because I am sitting in the middle of a raging urinary tract infection at the moment. That's how glamorous publishing is. I'm. This is my launch week for my book, and I'm. <laughs> I'm going to the toilet every twenty minutes and crying as hot jam comes oh, out. God. Well, I was wondering maybe that was related. It's just sucking it up and irritating. It, the human body is fascinating. It is. And the vagina slash vulva is just a trouble cupboard to which things... A trouble cupboard! <laughs> a trouble cupboard! Oh, wow. Oh, that's great. I, I, I'm going to revisit that. <laughs> All right. The one part of your book where I felt like you were really exactly describing my personal experience was when you were giving romantic advice mm. i like had to stop i had to comment i had to speak to this podcast producer luscious logan who is also my life partner of 16 years and i said to him this lady knows what is up <laughs> you you wrote you wrote i can tell you the three vital and indeed only things about knowing you've found the one and everyone else who's looking for the one i want you to listen to this because this is absolutely 100 percent the truth one the primary location for foolproof love detection is in your nose i can tell you right now you will know you've finally found the love of your life because they just smell great i can tell you that when I met Luscious Logan, I was casually dating two other people. And the minute I smelled him, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> like, I had never smelled anything more delicious in my life. I still, to this day, have never smelled anything quite as wondrous as the smell of our podcast producer, Luscious Logan. Like, I... So you're just, saying like, Camilla likes that I smell like trash? Well, the onion, the onion <laughs> anecdote earlier has told a story, literally told a story of its own, so... Um, is he called Luscious? Is that his government name, or did you name him Luscious after the smell? Which came first? <laughs> Luscious Logan um, is his podcast producer name. Mm. His his government name is Logan Caballero del Fuego. I like both. Which is it's mm. Luscious in and of itself, but his podcast producer name is Luscious Logan. And what does he smell like to you? Oh. Describe the smell. It's like. Um, a little it's like a combination of a little bit of sandalwood not too much mm -hmm. and like freshly baked bread like if you made a, a loaf of sandalwood and it just came out of the oven i can't but like also something else like it literally makes me salivate i can't <laughs> what i i think the most i've been apart from him in the last 16 years is like 10 days and i went through withdrawal like i thought that 
my nose was going to shrivel up and fall off my face. I was, I was so <laughs> upset not smelling him. Okay. So that was number one. And I was with you hundred percent. And I thought that I was, I was like a total, like I thought it, I was like a, a fetishy nose freak, but apparently this is a natural thing. You say the good smell when you find it has a very specific purpose to relax you. Exactly. I'm very tense when I can't smell him. That's what love is ultimately being very, very relaxed. This is the primary effect of the good smell. It gets you super stoned. Um, finally, you say true love is a bit scared, just slightly, just a tiny bit, a pinch of salty fear to season the dish, a soupçon of worry that if you let your standards drop and start taking each other for granted, all this delicious magic could disappear. I would like to know how you first sniffed out your man and how you've made it work for him for such a very long time. We were both at the same, we were both music journalists at the same magazine and the music press at that time, everybody who worked there was like a super cool, I mean, it was pre-hipster, but like hipster dude in like leather jackets. And they knew all the cool music that was correct to like, which would be looking back now, horrible loud bands like Front 242 and Skinny Puppy and and Faust and Can and just things that I would never listen to on a sunny day. Oh, I love Can. That's fine. But what I liked <laughs> was Crowded House. I loved the beautiful oh, adult-oriented rock, FM pop of Crowded House. And so did my husband. And we were the only two people on the paper who weren't cool. And we had this terrible secret that we loved Crowded House and we must not let the cool people know. <laughs> and the plot in the movie is kind of what happened to me. So I started off as a fan at the at the magazine. I was 16. And it was very rapidly explained to me by the other cool guys on the paper that being a fan wasn't the purpose of being a music journalist. You were there to destroy and be scabrous and be snarky and kind of like you know savage these fans so I did that and uh, as children will I, I did it more than anybody else and was super enthusiastic about it and wanted to win at being an absolute cunt um, <laughs> I did I at the end it peaked with me writing a review of a band called Ned's Atomic Dustbin where I imagined that I was at their funeral and I was giving the eulogy and the lead singer was dead in his grave and I was throwing earth onto his face whilst telling him his entire <laughs> life had been a waste and, uh, oh my god that's I know brutal. I still bite I have to often bite down on a spoon at the memory of this and uh and that's it ran so and I was expecting everyone to be like whoa you did it you're such a badass bitch that's amazing and my husband came up to me at the magazine and went oh that was a bit off and at the, at the time Ooh. he was just my friend but he was the only person there who went basically sort of went this isn't a nice thing to do and I don't think that's who you are he could like he you know he knew me for the fan and the kind of smiling optimistic nice girl that I am, and so I, I respected this man who who told me to be nice basically, and uh, and yeah we went out with each other for a bit and then he really wisely went look you've just moved down to London you're seventeen you're just about to start presenting this TV show you're probably going to be a bit famous you should probably go off there and have your sexual adventures it's far too early for you to settle down with me I release you back into the wild so he Aww. released me back into the sexual wild I banged around. Uh, for about a year, had some terrible times and then came back to me and just went, I've done my shagging around. Can I come back with you and smell your armpits? <laughs> and we've been together ever since. And we are, and he is very good at making sure that we just stay nice and respectful to each other at all times. I come from quite a feral family and uh, and he sort of very quickly schooled me in things like not using an old piece of bread as an ashtray. Um, or <laughs> leaving everything on the floor and and we're just very polite to each other not in a horrible way but like for instance after sex we always say thank you very much for the sexual intercourse that was very satisfactory um, and I think it's good to like file those reviews and keep that kind of feedback going it's just <laughs> that you have had sex it's a nice thing <laughs> and you've been with him for like 25 years or something I know right yeah married for 21 and together for 25 so uh wild Wow. And I think the main thing that keeps us together is both of us uh, always forget what our anniversary is and remember it a week later and go, oh, well done. Thumbs up. Let's carry on. <laughs> You're going to renew the contract. Yes. <laughs> so what? So he's the one that says, like, don't use bread for an ashtray. Is that? Yes. I mean, it was, when I moved into his flat, my trousseau uh, was three trash bags, uh, two which had dirty clothes in and one which had full ashtrays. Um, and I had invented, at the time I thought an amazing invention, if you get like an unsliced loaf of bread and then you rip the top off and eat all the soft innards as you would, obviously, then you have like a kind of hollowed out kind of pot into which you can stub out your cigarettes. And, and because it's so deep, 
you can just put up to a thousand cigarette butts in there before you then just <laughs> throw the whole loaf away. And I kidded myself that the bread deodorized the smell. And I was so proud of this invention. Bradley <laughs> brought this half full loaf of fag ends into his house and he was like, maybe not. <laughs> Could we find another way? So funny. <laughs> That's hilarious. And I'm surprised to hear you say it because you, you talk about like, all right, go, going back, you, you say that you were raised kind of feral. I was um, unsupervised, basically, to put it in, in a succinct manner. I was unsupervised. I also have like, you know, when I when I moved in with Luscious Logan, he's the only person I've ever, you know, lived with outside of like college roommates and, and um, I had one other brief roommate, but anybody like he's the only person I've ever tried to set up a household with. And he also did like, he, he was also horrified by like most of my habits or (laughs) like lack of any kind of habits. And uh, um, his grandmother, he didn't know his grandmother, but his grandmother was a home economics teacher and his mom, you know, like sort of carried on that legacy of like, (laughs) <laughs> of how there are ways to to set up a home and I have like absolutely none of those instincts at all and I'm surprised that you showed up similarly to your new home because the one part like I like I said every I I resonate with I identify with so much of your writing and then this one speed bump I hit I was like oh wow like I am not like this woman at all. And that was the part where you were saying, um, I think you were speaking to men and you were saying, never try to do something spontaneously for the house. Women have been planning that shit since before you were born. They are working towards a to-do list that they started in their teens, a to-do list that will lead to a perfect life. Women are always doing mad things like hoovering curtains or moisturizing their elbows. It's just weird. Um, so I am not that woman. I've never been that woman. I never will be that woman. Luscious Logan will walk by and he'll look at me meaningfully and he'll hand me a jar of lotion and then I'll know that I'm a crusty bitch. <laughs> like I do not, when I look at my elbow, I see nothing. When I see curtains encrusted with grime, I see absolutely nothing. I don't see it. I don't smell the litter box when it's overflowing. Like it's like, it's not there. Um, <laughs> Am I not a woman? Did something happen? You are free. You are free, my friend. You are outside the matrix. You are are a free eagle (laughs) looking down upon corporeal worry and sorrow uh that affects many women uh, you know i wish all women were uh were as freed from this as you but uh uh i first of all i just thought my my husband is a very tidy and neat person and i realized that if i was not helping to tidy up the house then i was just making another job for him and so just on the politeness level i was like okay this is something that you really care about so i guess i should care about it too maybe i will hang mm-hmm. my clothes up maybe i will be a clean person so for the first 10 years i was definitely the dirty person um and then there was just a moment where i'd i'd been i'd interviewed a lot of people and they'd put me up in really nice hotels and I'd be walking around these hotels going why does this feel so nice why is this a pleasant <laughs> environment and I was like because there isn't shit everywhere it's minimal and clean with lovely clean sheets and lovely folded towels and suddenly I was like I could make the house like a hotel I could have folded towels I could have sheets that make a crickly crackly noise when you get in the bed because they're so fucking expensive um and I, I got hooked man I got hooked on the cleanness, I got hooked on the hotels, and so that was what I wanted to try and replicate in my house. You can see on your screen what my spare bedroom looks like, so you can see that I have not managed to make this look like a hotel, but that's generally where I'm trying to head. I think it looks very nice. Our viewer or our listeners can't see what you guys see, but you guys are seeing a Zoom background because I don't want you guys to see my apartment. Um, I have never lived in a comfortable space in my life. And I'm 45. Like, I'm not, I don't want to make it sound like I'm uncomfortable. But like you said, like, um, when you walk into a hotel or someone's like beautiful, like cushy, nice place, it's like, oh, this is nice. Like, I've never lived in that place. And maybe those are skills that I could acquire. But I'm like fucking 45. Like, are are those skills even something that I never made a bed until I moved in with Camillo. And now I make the bed every day. I mean, well, we make the bed together. 
I think I think my secondary problem is that I tend to give everything a voice like it's like a permanent Jim Henson workshop in my head so Uh if I walk in a room and there's like some trousers on the floor I I will hear the trousers go oh you don't like me then (laughs) I (laughs) swear you wore me upon your legs and you sweated upon my crotch and now I have been cast inside well thank you so very much I was a faithful pair of trousers to you well screw you lady and so everything will be talking to me so it's just best that I put it away on a shelf because that will shut so that's obviously something I need therapy for or can turn into a script and pitch for a million dollars to Pixar but either way that's the reality of the objects in my house they all talk to me in very silly voices basically you know where there's the animated candlestick and the posh clock in uh, the animated version yeah. of the beast Everything uh-huh. in my house is either um, a sexually frustrated clock or a posh French candelabra. <laughs> it's all talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe I should try that. Maybe I should anthropomorphize everything around me all the time and then pick it up. Who knows? <laughs> Give it a go. Tell me what happens. Let me. Yeah, let I me, will. Tell me what their voices are when you when you pick something <laughs> up and go. How would you talk to me, beautiful cult? See, see what it says back. Maybe it has nothing to say at all. <laughs> It's like, I love you, Emily. I want I want you to drink out of me. I am your favorite cup. All right. Uh you as far as long as I've been reading your work, you've always been described as a feminist writer, a feminist feminist humorist, a feminist columnist. Has your definition of your own feminism changed over time? Are you tired of people referring to everything you do as feminist? No, uh, because I live a life where I can vote and I'm not owned by a man and I get to keep my own money and if I wanted to, I could run for prime minister, but I'm a bit too busy for that. And so I live a feminist life, as does every, pretty much every woman in the Western world and, and a great deal of the planet. And so a lot of my job is... Because there's hardcore feminists who know their feminism and are hugely versed in it. And sometimes they can be a bit like, oh, look at you with your humor and your kind of your light feminism. But my job is to be a middle ground feminist explaining to women who don't think they're feminists that they are feminists in as amusing a way as possible. Like, you know, I could go full heavy sort of academic feminism, but I don't see that as being... My big, but when I when I had my first sort of feminist coming of age, it was during the Riot Girl movement, you know, kind of like Bikini Kill and Same. all that kind of stuff. And I loved them, but I was sixteen at the time, and I was like, they generally wouldn't be interviewed by the mainstream press; they would just be interviewed in fanzines that you'd have to go to a record shop to get and look cool in order to feel bold enough to go in there. And I was like, there's no point in having something as cool as Kathleen Hanna and then hiding it in a cool place with the kind of girls who really need her, who yeah. are living on shitty council estates in Wolverhampton and who are just listening to, you know, kind of you know pop music and could do with a big dose of feminism they're not going to find her and so even at 16 I was like if I ever do anything about feminism I want to put it in a really warm accessible public place that doesn't feel like there's any barriers to getting into it you don't have to be cool to get into it and it's gonna I'm just going to explain to you that feminism isn't a set of rules or something you can fail at it's just a set of tools for understanding your life and it gives you freedom it will it's the thing that you can use that will explain most of the reasons why you feel shit or too much or not enough as a woman in the modern world um and I I sort of the joy of feminism is something that I really want to communicate I don't want it to be a war. I don't want it to be a competition. It's like, no, this is the thing that makes you free. This is how you will understand yourself and the people around you. I hear that. That's what we're trying to do at Bus too. I don't know if you've ever seen Bus Magazine, but that is literally all that we're trying to do all day, every day. No, and that is why I love Bosom Magazine. I'm sorry I have renamed it. (laughs) You're in the bosom of our hearts. Um, What are your hopes and your dreams and your plans for the rest of 2020. We, I'm not sure if you are aware, in the midst of a very scary presidential election season. So I know where our minds are, but you are blissfully removed a little bit from that being in London. What are what is your the rest of your 2020 about? Let us fantasize through your life. Well, first of all, can I just say I don't understand how you're coping with being American at the moment because everything not well. Not, not well. Well, it is at all constant spin cycle mind fuck like it's literally every 20 minutes like i am having to come off social media for hours a day because it's like every time you turn it on it's like more things are on fire and i don't just mean property i mean brains and souls in the future like kind of everything's on fire what That's is a trash fire on um and like you know when you know uh, you know things are barely better in the uk because we're about to leave europe and we've got a very 
we've got a terrible government full of incompetence who, and they're posh. And as a working class warrior, I just find it intolerable that we're being ruled by the kind of posh idiots that we've always had, apart from a brief period in the post-war era where we had a socialist government who built houses and schools. So, uh, so yeah, it's a shit show over here as well. Um, but I am thankfully inoculated from all of that because as a writer, you spend your entire life in a room, sitting on a chair and writing. Uh, and you don't really have to deal with people or society. <laughs> That's pretty nice. <laughs> it's very nice. In my room, everything is great. Once I leave the house, it gets bad again. Once I go online, it's bad. But if I'm here and I'm writing, that's my happy place. A lot of writers that I know find it really difficult to write. But like, if I'm sad or anxious, I want to write. Uh, that's where, that's my happy place. So I will just be writing for the rest of the year. I've got my next book, which I'm so excited about. So I realised that I wanted to write sci-fi. Because nearly all sci-fi is about how terrible the future is and how technology is going to fuck us over. And that's not true. Like, we're using technology now. Generally, technology is amazing. Obviously, there are bad aspects to it, but so much of it is brilliant and has improved our lives. So I was like, I want to write a feminist sci-fi novel about how the future is going to be great. What would be the funniest thing? It would be to rewrite the 1986 John Hughes movie, Weird Science, where two teenage boys <laughs> oh my God, yeah. make the perfect lady using a computer. And I'm going to have three women of our age going, we can't find husbands. All the men are not up to our standard. We're going to make husbands. So it's called husband material. And it's about women making men and all of the moral dilemmas that come off the back of that. The scene where they're designing the penises, I yeah. spent two days crying over. <laughs> This is amazing. And again, to ask that, you know, what do you what do we want from a man? And that's the first prototypes they do. They think they want these things, and it turns out they don't want that at all. Especially as it's so predictable because they programmed in it. So then you want a random element, and then the random element goes wrong. So they're constantly trying to reprogram these men. And it goes into free will and what do we really want? And designing penises. I mean, it's I couldn't be happier with the next project I've got. <laughs> I love this. Do they can they make them smell really good? There is a whole chapter about what they should smell of. Yeah, we discuss all of this, <laughs> what kind of humour they should have, how we want them to dress, how much they would look like Mark Ruffalo. There's a big argument about that. Um, yeah, and then there's a big old twist. So, no, I'm really, I'm, I'm enjoying that. So I came up with the baddie's name yesterday. He's called Dodge Bongers. He's Dutch and he's angry. <laughs> they hate Dodge Bongers. Dodge Bongers, Bongers. is a dick. He's the dick from Ghostbusters. He's Dodge Bongers. <laughs> That's hilarious that sounds so amazing i can't wait this is uh the final question that we ask all of the guests on this show and that question is what you watching and when i say what you watching it is very broad we're talking about movies television books music music videos podcasts anything pop culturally that you are consuming we want to know about it because it's probably very cool and we want to check it out as well Catelyn moran what are you watching? Oh, the list is just too long. Um, I'm <laughs> just now catching up on all the stuff that I missed because I was pregnant and had small kids. And now my children are teenage. We're watching all this stuff together that I should watch then. So we've only just got into Broad City, which obviously oh. is like, born from the gods to, to come to me. I've only just yesterday heard Peaches fuck the pain away. So I'm now... Oh, oh you're catching up. I know, right? So I'm now just watching and learning all about Peaches. I just keep running into my kids' room and going, her first solo band was called The Shit. She did a solo version of Jesus Christ Superstar. Like I'm just so on peaches. I'm so on peaches. Um, there's a new show that's just started in the UK, which hopefully you'll get in America at some point. So Lucy Preble, who's one of the co-writers on Succession, has um, written this drama uh, called uh, I Hate Susie, starring Billy Piper, who people will know from Doctor Who. Um, and it's about a celebrity who has uh, her nudes stolen and then has a nervous breakdown. And it starts off seeming to be this quite niche thing about a celebrity woman having a nervous breakdown, but slowly and brilliantly reveals itself to be about every woman in the world and our unexpressed anger and how constantly fucked over we are without not even realising it. It is a work of genius. There's a whole episode where the entire plot for an hour is Billy Piper's character trying to work out what she's going to think about while she's masturbating and trying ah. to work out which things are feminist, which things aren't, and it gradually allows you to see her entire backstory and, like, it's just amazing. That's great. Have you, you seen I May Destroy You? Yes. So just finished that. I mean, just so extraordinary. The finale, I mean, that was... Genius. It's 
Yeah, and like the flashback episodes and the casting in that is just, I made it, Michaela Cole is such a fucking queen and a boss. Like, she knows what she's doing. Like, she's kind of... It was amazing. Every I tend to only watch things that are about women. I'm kind of not really interested in men. I don't want to... I feel like I spent nearly all my life watching men's stories. And now, if it's about a dude who's got a problem after 10 minutes, I'm like, well, you'll solve it. It'll be fine. (laughs) You'll you'll call in a friend or spend some money and it'll be fine. Our stuff is in the bone. It's in our minds and it's in society. That's some obstacles. That's what I want to watch. Oh my God. Your picks are so on point. They involve women who have been on the cover of Bust Magazine. I they involve women that are have been inside of Bust Magazine. We intersect. We intersect. Look at all totally. Yeah. In so many ways. I you know, like you're one of those people where I read your work and I'm like, oh, if only she had an opportunity where I could meet her and she could meet me. I hope that she would like me because I like her so much and I think that she would like me. I do. And I open <laughs> invitation. The minute you can leave your binfire country and come oh, here, I will take you out to all the best places in London and you can see what a binfire ca- country I'm <laughs> in. And we will exchange despair in the beautiful moment of female bonding. <laughs> Oh my God. I am, I am there when we are welcome in your country, which may not be anytime soon, but it'll give me something to look forward to. Certainly. Oh my gosh. It has been such a delight talking to this you. This has been hilarious. Oh, same. Yeah. I'm so, this is my happy place. Of course here it's really late at night. So I'm now so pumped full of feminist adrenaline. I am not going to be able to sleep. So I think I'm just going to go and tidy up or, or masturbate. One or the other. <laughs> I can't wait. Great choices. <laughs> Before we get back to the show, I want to tell you about our new sponsor, Wolfie Vibes Publicity. If you're working on a new project and find yourself in need of a kick-ass publicist who communicates well and works tirelessly to get you the coverage you're after, consider going to Wolfie Vibes Publicity. Wolfie Vibes Publicity is a female-owned and operated boutique PR firm that will get you where you need to be, and you'll even have fun in the process. Get in touch via wolfievibespublicity.com for details and quotes. And tell them that Pop-Tart sent you. Essentially, I started it because every female comedian I know was amazing and hardworking and hilarious. And I knew would make great podcasts. And every male comedian I know already had a podcast and was doing their own thing. (laughs) Hi, I'm Kate Moldenhauer, the founder of More Banana Podcasts, a comedy podcast network entirely produced, hosted, and led by women. We have shows about politics. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Let's Get Civical. When the Supreme Court puts stuff on their calendar, they use the word docket. So their Google Calendar is a docket. Is a docket. So technically, I have a docket. You have a docket. We all have docket. We all have a docket. Sex. Welcome to my vagina. I'm Jesse Karen. This is Rebecca Frank. What were ancient Greek dildos made of, Jesse? They were made of padded leather and, yep, anointed with olive oil. (laughs) Scams. I'm Caitlin Bradley Smith. <laughs> and, and we, we love scams. scams. She tells them she's a German Russian heiress and she seems like she has a lot of money and people buy it. That's yeah. basically what's happening. So as soon as she got a loan, she would cash it as much as she could out before anybody caught on. Which Amazing. Was so smart. I mean, so like, smart. <laughs> I mean, it's terrible, but like to take that money out immediately. Because women are actually pretty versatile and funny. More Banana is a network of women's voices, unfiltered and uninterrupted. Find us everywhere you get your podcasts and learn about our growing roster of shows at morebanana.com. And we're back. Hello, Callie. Hey. Catlin Moran was a delight. I enjoyed speaking with her very much. That was hilarious. That was hilarious. A joy. A vaginal joy. joy. (laughs) I need to know, and I want to know, and I'm also desperate to find out, Callie Watts, what you watching? Well, I've been on a, me and Camilla have been a Fargo binge, so I've been watching the TV show. Yeah, I never really watched the show when it came on, so I've been watching that. I've never seen it. What, What is it on? Uh, like we're what, watching what, it on Hulu, uh, I think. Streaming platform. I think we're watching it on Hulu. Okay. Um, Billy Bob Thornton's cool. bangs are insane in the first season. And his character <laughs> is so dead ass. He's just like, it, it, 
he plays that character so good. It's amazing. Um, so Fargo binge. And then I saw this movie, a simple favor with Anna Kendrick and Blake lively. It's on Amazon. I've heard good things, but I have not seen it. I thought I was going to hate it. I thought this was going to be like a mommy com, <laughs> but it's mm-hmm. not at all. Blonde ladies having feelings. Yeah. Instead it's like, um, Anna Kendrick's character is a mommy logger and she has like no friends. She's annoying. And Blake Lively's character is like this high class New York socialite PR lady. And uh, they like sort of become friends when they're because their kids are hanging out. And then Blake's like, oh, can you watch the kid babysit the kid for a weekend? And then she just disappears and vanishes. <laughs> and then it's it's like, oh, like, oh, where is she? What's the secret life? And and then Anna Kendrick's like talks, keeps talking about it on the blog. It's, it's good. It was funny. It was way better than I expected. You cool. Should watch it. And then um, there was this, this show, Selena Plus Chef on HBO. It's a cooking Selena show. Plus Chef. Yeah, Selena Gomez apparently does not know how to cook at all. And so in quarantine, she gets these, like, each episode is a different celebrity chef that teaches her remotely huh. how to cook a dish. And she is charming she's very charming and she's just like sweatpants messy hair she has two friends that are hanging out with her um the first french the first chef was french ludo lefebvre (laughs) oh i love ludo lefebvre well he was there and he was very fucking aggressive (laughs) (laughs) she was fucking something up and he was like so aggressive like yelling ah selena no selena (laughs) <laughs> it was so intense and then the next chef after that was this like super chill lady named antonia lofazo and she was oh like, yeah she used to be on top chef she was like so much more relaxed her style was way more chill anyway it's a really cute show um it's always for a charity so she'll pick a charity and then the, the chef picks a charity um then i watched this um movie called the binge on hulu which okay. is got Vince Vaughn, who I'm very meh about. I feel like he has so much headspace. I yeah, I, <laughs> I agree. I'm not I'm not Team Vaughn for and, whatever reason. It's something, it's something about him and his movie choices. Sometimes he's really funny though. Like in Dodgeball, he was really funny. Mm-hmm. And then that guy Skylar Gazondo, I think is his name. He was on the Santa Clarita Diet, and he's in all these. Oh, like, I didn't see that show. Team Boy show. He's like I, I like him. He's he's nice, and um. And that guy, Eduardo Franco, that was on in Booksmart, he's got like long hair and he's like stoner Hesher vibe. Uh, And and he was also in that movie, The Package. He's the one that got his dick cut off. (laughs) No. (laughs) I think I've talked about this movie before. It's like kids go camping and then they cut a dick off. (laughs) You know, that's not right. And then they have to like get the dick on ice and give it to the, oh. you know classic dick cut it's up. like a, a, a bobbit situation yeah always got to get the dick on ice but in this movie it's like sort of like the purge where there's like no crime or anything happens it's a one night except in this movie it's there's no alcoholic substances and no drugs and then on one Just night for one night i think it's one weekend and then so if you're over 18, you could go crazy for one night and people go fucking nuts. And then there's like competitions. There's like secret competitions where everybody goes and does like the most of the most and sees who can do the most. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was really funny because, you know, of course, in class, like we have to get to a competition. There's all kinds of mayhem on the way to said competition. Right, of course. The end was really funny. There was a lot of cocaine jokes, a lot of coke face. It was really, it was pretty funny. I enjoyed it. And then the last thing I've been watching is this kids show, well, teen show called Trinkets on Netflix. Okay. This is what I watch when Camilla's asleep because he would hate this. And (laughs) it's a bunch of girls that end up um, becoming friends in a shoplifters anonymous club or a group. Nice. And so then they're like... The bad girls and like the the like good girl, what's she doing here type of thing. And then they end up being friends and stealing things together. 
Of course. Of course. Apparently there's two seasons. I'm on season one. It's cute. It's getting a little redundant, but but it's still cute. Okay. And that's Trinkets. what I've been watching. What have you been watching? I enjoyed Teen Shoplifter. I might check that out. Yeah, it's cute. Um, I'm so I'm so glad that you asked. I've been watching Absolute Trash, um, <laughs> but not entirely, only a little bit. Uh, at this juncture, I've been watching Love Island on CBS. It's not a soap opera. It's a reality show, and it's a dating show. And in previous iterations, it used to be a British show. Then I think there was one previous American season, and they just put all these hot people in bathing suits on an island. They give them a villa. It has a big pool. They make them all sleep in the same room. and They um, all sleep in they, the same room? Yeah, and they make them sleep in couples like even when they just first are getting to know each other and then every once in a while there's a recoupling uh different ways that they shuffle people around so different people at first maybe they like who they're sleeping with maybe they don't and then like they get to choose different people it's trash but it's also (laughs) so funny and there's like people who are like fall madly in love like after two days and then like maybe after four days one of them isn't sure if they're in love or not and there's like huge heartbreak and despair and you know like the drama is so crazy and I think part of it is just because they're all just isolated up there without tv or internet or cell phones and all they can do is walk around in bathing suits and create drama amongst themselves yeah that sounds about right filmed constantly and they put it on TV almost every day and then at the end of the week they do like a two hour recap of everything that everyone said and then things that they didn't show and I just fell into this world of vapid bikini people and I can't seem to get out. I will tell you anybody who's within the sound of my voice who's actually following this season of Love Island I am team Johnny he is from Virginia he's paired up with this Latina named Selly and they're great and everyone else on that show is trash. <laughs> and I'm telling you right now that Johnny and Sally are going to win it all. So that's it. I think they get money at the end. But Yeah, I was about to say what do you win? Yeah, like people systematically get, if nobody wants to share a bed with them they get kicked off. Ah. And they keep introducing new people all the time. So like So it's not seasons? It just is forever and ever like- no it's seasons so this is the second season oh, i was picturing like forever and ever like a poop back no they're they're not isolated forever it's for like a, a couple months or something i was figuring like a rotation and people just get kicked and then one guy just ages <laughs> forever on the show but there's definitely a hotation of hoes coming in and out it sounds nuts. um so then something with a much higher quality quotient is a film called the treasure of the sierra madre let's just logan and i periodically we'll dip into the AFI list of the 100 greatest movies of all time and try to fill in our gaps of what we haven't seen yet. And so we booted up the treasure of the Sierra Madre. We found it on one of the streaming platforms and it was really great. Surprise. It earned its spot on the AFI 100. It's a 1948 movie. It's a Western, which I don't normally enjoy, but I really Mm. liked it. It's this adventure drama, and it was written and directed by John Houston, our friend Angelica Houston's dad. Uh. And it also co-starred um, Walter Houston, who is Angelica Houston's grandfather. So it was Cute. a multi-generational Houston experience. Um, so it's set in the 1920s, and there's these totally broke dudes. One of them is played by Humphrey Bogart, and the other one is played by Tim Holt. And then... They join up with Angelica Houston's grandfather, Walter Houston, to go to Mexico together to prospect for gold. And like all kinds of crazy shit happens. This was um, one of the first Hollywood films ever shot on location, like outside of the U.S. in in Mexico. And um, it's there's scenes in it where Logan and I were like, oh. No fucking way. We were like grabbing each other. There was plot really? twists that we did not see coming. It was exciting. And um, it was also kind of a, a mind fuck because I'm so focused on watching women centric or like movies that are, are specifically geared towards women that like this movie had no women except <laughs> for like occasionally there was a sex worker who would like stroll by. But other than that, there was no 
there was no women. Um, but nonetheless, it was actually, it was great. I recommend The Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Um, it's one of those classics that doesn't get as much play as like yeah, Citizen Kane. Yeah, I've never even heard of it. Whatever, but it's Humphrey Bogart is crazy in this movie. I'm like, oh shit, that dude can act. Wow. Not that I didn't think he could, but I was, let's just say, I was surprised and impressed. Nice. Um, and then on the lighter side, I have been watching on the app CBS All Access for streaming. They have, I'm one of those people that join CBS All Access only for Star Trek things. For the, <laughs> the, new, the newer Star Trek shows are on there. And um, I think they know that. I think they know there's a lot of people who only subscribe for Star Trek related content. And so they have a new animated series that's only on CBS All Access called Star Trek Lower Decks. <laughs> and it's like, you know, about all those people who get who aren't up like in the captain's area. I've never like, seen them. I don't know a Star Trek. I mean, I've like, seen it, but I don't know. All of the different Star Trek shows like mainly involve like the captain and like their most immediate crew mm. and like what happens up on like the bridge of the ship. But theoretically there's this huge starship and whatever series it is that's full of crew members and like what what's up with them so like <laughs> that's the that's the premise of this it's it's a comedy it's very silly it's called star trek lower decks and um it is just chock full of endless inside jokes about star trek like if you are a trek nerd like i am there's just tons of jokes so about, i wouldn't get it at all over my head but inside it's baseball. also it's very inside baseball but also even if you know nothing about star trek it's very funny there's like the premise is that there's this starship and it's um captained by a woman of color and there's someone there's like this young woman of color who's just running around who doesn't obey any of the rules she's like just like a lowly lower decks person like sort of jill of all trades just like having fun and messing around and like pranking people and, and um, basically making life very fun for the people in the lower decks, but also freaking people out in authority. And it turns out that the captain is her mom. Ah. And so she's like rebelling against her mom and her mom like wants her off the ship. And she's like, whatever, whatever I do what I want. It's very funny. And I highly recommend it. And that is what I am watching, except for one final thing. The Majestic Pop-Tarts Patreon page, which yeah. has just made its debut in the world. And Callie, I don't know if you saw, we just got a new patron this week. And I was so excited to see Yay! that. We really need your help to keep Bust alive. And hopefully you'll be excited by all the goodies that we've hooked up for pop tarts listeners um you can find them over at patreon.com slash pop tarts podcast callie and i with help from team bust have been typing up all these exhaustive show notes only for patreon donors that include links to what everybody has been watching for all 91 episodes that's where 91. we are 91 episodes we've also got totally ad free episodes if that's your jam there's exclusive content on there, including the amazing episode we did with Big Frida. And there's all kinds of other goodies. If you are so inclined, please check it out at patreon.com slash Podcast. Help us keep feminist media alive. Yes. And finally, a big thank you to our luscious producer and sound engineer, Logan Del Fuego. Muy caliente, Logan. And... <laughs> our girl gang at bust magazine. You can find me on Twitter at Emily Rems and on Instagram at Rems Emily, but you cannot find Callie on social media. So don't try. <laughs> <laughs> you can email us both though. I'm at Emily Rems at bust.com. Callie W at bust.com. And you can learn more about the show at bust.com slash pop tarts. And finally, please rate and review this podcast on Apple podcasts. It really helps us get the word out and we super duper appreciate it until next time. Mwah! Touch that little dangly thing that's swinging the back of my throat. Go, go, go.